Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Adam Hawkins, joined by my friend and co-host, Tamarcus Raglan, and today we're really excited to have a conversation with Dr. Walter Strickland, and we're going to be talking to him about work. Uh, specifically, we're, we're going to use Every Waking Hour, one of his books, as a guide, um, but we hope to have a deep and interesting conversation that's edifying for our listeners. So, Dr. Strickland, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you having me. It's a, it's a blessing. Yeah. yeah, man. A little bit about you. Um, you are an educator. You are a professor at Southeastern. You got your PhD from Aberdeen, uh, but you also are an author and you teach in other spaces. And um, man, I just I feel like it's a privilege to have you on, somebody of your caliber. And yeah, we're just, we're so thankful. So anything else we should know about you? We always ask our guests, like we do the little, you know, academic bio, but like, uh, what do you think's important that we should know about you? Yeah, uh, I'm a sinner saved by grace by the Lord Jesus, Amen. and I'm a child of the King. Amen, man. Amen. That's awesome. Would love to kick us off uh, with the first um, question, just to kind of get us started. I think maybe yeah, to frame it around the the context of the book. Um, I know you tell us they tell a story in the introduction, um, kind of of where this this topic arises from. And as a young adult minister at our church, um, I often hear this this kind of tone. You quote. Um, someone mentioning that the work that pastors and, and ministers do just isn't as important as what I do. Mm. Um, maybe like teasing that out or like what were what were some of the um, prompters that got you to to write the book to begin with? Yeah. So um, which is always a, a great question. I mean, if I'm honest, the, the, the thing that pushed me into uh, writing a book like this was my provost. He said, hey, Walter, I want you to write a book on faith and work. <laughs> but uh but the reality, that's, that's the funny part about it. But I mean, as I was into the conversation about faith and work, it really became apparent to me that this is an area where Christians need to do some thinking, but we haven't really done a lot of it. Right. Because we, we often we often think that the people who are the clerical collars are doing the really spiritual work. Those who are uh, wearing blue collars, white collars, or, or whatever else are doing just the secular work. And the only way for those people to actually participate in ministry with their vocation is to, uh, you know, to give to missions, to pray on their lunch break, to have a Bible study at their, um, you know, at their vocational space, but they forget about what's actually on their job description and how that can actually be glorifying to God. And so while I would say, yes, be, have a Bible study at your place of work, have a, you know, a prayer time at your place of work, let it be known that you're a believer at your place of work, but because uh, that's a part of our testimony as well. But the deeds that we do as far as how we glorify God in the four or five bullet points in our job description, it actually matters. And we can find some fulfillment in that as Christians doing it in such a way that honors Christ. And so I think that a lot of people thought they're just wasting their time away, you know, for 40 hours a week or, or however long they're working um, and, and not doing anything to the glory of God. And only when they serve at church on that premises, are they actually doing kingdom work? So I, I was trying to dispel that myth uh, as best I can. And um, this really brings value into a lot of what people do on a daily basis. 
uh, so we can worship not just on Sunday, but we, we go to work on Monday as well. And yeah. so I think that's a very uh, significant transition that folks can uh, make cognitively that will affect how they are in their demeanor emotionally and also, uh, you know, just as a person, but also in their enthusiasm for their work, therefore giving them, a, 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 you know, more of a reason to proclaim Christ while they're in the, the workplace. And so I know that's a lot, but I can keep going. No, I think it's good. Yeah. I, do you mind? I'm sorry. No, go for it. We just talk over each other. <laughs> <laughs> no, I... Um, I, I'm almost embarrassed, you know, as I was reading, it was, I, I learned so much, but I also remembered I was an attorney before I became a pastor. And I remember at the law firm, like, if I tried to think about my work itself, and you point this out in the book, I think most of the time when we think of faith and work, and you're saying it now, it was like, how can I use my place of business as a jumping off point to evangelize, right? So that, that and you point that out, or it's like, um, how can I work like ethically and hard, right? Like almost like Protestant work ethic or whatever that looks like. And this revelation of no, it actually, what you're doing matters. And you can tie that into the creation mandate. You can tie that into neighbor love. You can tie that into all, man, it, it just unlocked this sense for me of purpose and meaning. And I think in a world, you know, what we're facing, culturally speaking, is a world that is so deprived of depth and meaning. And people are trying so hard to find value in their work, right? Um, they're trying to find freedom in their work, and they come up empty so often because I don't think it's connected to deeper meaning. So this is absolutely a conversation for Christians. But I also just thought, man, like, actually offering a vision for work that's tied to ultimate meaning and ultimate depth yes. is an apologetic in and of itself. And it, it, yeah, it was just really exciting. I was wondering if you could speak a little bit more to, to what we're talking about there. Yeah. Because if we don't, if we don't see work as a part of anything with ultimate meaning, yeah. we're either just, we're, we're working for the weekend because yep. work is a necessary evil. Mm -hmm. yep, yep. We have to do this to pay the bills. Yep. Um, and then if you're competitive like me, then work becomes strictly about money. You know, uh, and then I begin to bend the rules or I begin, I become tempted to bend the rules ethically to win at this game of making more and more money. Mm. Uh, and then I begin to become uh, intoxicated with earthly things. Like there's nothing wrong with having a little sports car. I mean, but you'll go from a Mazda Miata and then eventually you'll need that uh, Porsche, mm. you know, um, and then vacations to the mountains you know i live in north carolina we call it the appalachian mountains if you want to go to the mountains that's great go to that you know people call it the appalachian mountains that we're <laughs> in america yeah. um that's great but then eventually it's not just about going to those mountains it's going to the swiss alps mm. i mean so it begins it becomes this rat race very very quickly uh, on the path towards you know more and more and more and then many of us <clears throat> if we don't just work for uh, because it's a necessary evil or we don't work just for money, we actually try to work for self-fulfillment. Mm. We try to um, look to our work to give us value and meaning. And some of the most wealthy people I know are the most miserable. Right. Mm. Because they're looking to their work to do something that it was never designed to do, mm. which is give them meaning, purpose, and value. And the scripture tells us that only God gives us meaning, purpose, and value. Yes. We root that in him. And so my my value and my worth is not on the line if I make that deal or not. 
or if I become teacher of the year or not, mm. or if I become, you know, nurse of the month or not. Mm. The fact is, is that we have value in the Lord Jesus. We have value in our image bearing capacity as we read about in Genesis. And so um, we work not because we're trying to prove ourselves to ourselves in the world, uh, but because it's out of an overflow of belonging, an overflow of wanting to serve God, to glorify God, God and to serve others. This is that great commandment type of living that I think ought to motivate us as we're in the workplace, because I think Christians have the best motivation to do the greatest work. And so some folks might hear me say, well, you know, we should, you know, work, you know, work is this, work is that. I mean, I'm not trying to diminish work. Right. I'm simply trying to help us do it for the right purpose. And then because we have the right purpose, I think we have the motivation to do the best work because it's not just on behalf of ourselves. Is to glorify God and on behalf of others. So um, I think we have really good um, grounds to do work, but also to hem ourselves in a little bit so that we're not becoming the people who are overworkers. Uh, you know, so we, but we also shouldn't be underworkers as well, which is like a whole different part of the conversation we can have later. Right. Yep. Man, I had like three questions, and then as you were talking, I kept more kept popping up. Uh, <laughs> but as you were talking, it made me think in um, the chapter where you talk about Christ's work, uh, Christ's wisdom and work of just understanding the the ending place uh, or the, the telos of the Christian life in general. Um, and maybe maybe just with that in mind, I want to ask a, like a question from a perspective that I, I get a lot is like, okay, you know, to the person who's like, you know, Walter, I hear you. Um, and I know that, you know, there, there's value and there's meaning um, in my, my work that I went to school for. <laughs> um, but right now I'm just like an administrative assistant or like right now I'm just a barista or Uber driving or nannying. Um, so how, what does, what does work mean until I get to what God has actually called mm. me to do? Mm. Yo, that's a great question. And that's a question that I, I get to, because I mean, I, I remember being in seminary, I'm like, I want to be a pastor. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a this, but I was like, but now I work at Applebee's. Mm-hmm. And so as a server, and people just treat me like trash all the time. <laughs> and so, so what I would say to that, if we understand the goal of work to uh, glorify God and love neighbor, uh, then our work is, is not just the, our, our, our vocation where we can glorify God is not just that one thing that we went to school for. You know, while we have a desire to do that, what we have to change out of our work is, not, is really what we want out of it. You know, so mm. what we should want out of our work is to glorify God and serve others. Mm. So if that's the ultimate goal that's driving us, if we're able to do that in some capacity, it ought to help us even as we are an Uber driver, even as we are shelving books at the library, at the university, or what have you. Because if you're shelving books at the library, even if you wanted to be, <clears throat> you know, a, a lawyer one day, if you're, if you're shelving books at the library, you are ordering the chaos. Mm. You know, there, there's things we serve of God of order. So even putting things back in order has some sort of theological sort of value to it. Uh, on top of that, you are so you're not only mimicking some of the characteristics of God in that, you know, in, in a small way, but you're also uh, serving your fellow student by helping them be able to find the resources that they are then um, us- using to be furthered in their work. And so, um, you know, there was a commercial that I watched a long time ago 
and it was of a shift change at a um, a railway sort of intersection. I forget what what those are exactly called, but uh, you know, a, a guy who was working at a, like a um, a junction for uh, the railroad. And so one guy said, you know, was coming to work. Other guy was leaving. He, he goes, hey, so give me the give me the um, the report. He's like, well, today we kept the lights on. And then it's it shifted to the fact that they were helping a trail a car full of coal get to its location. Uh, he then he said, today we made a young girl's dream come true. It showed a, a train full of cars going through and changing at that junction. And she got her, and then it showed her getting her first car on her 16th birthday. You know, and so but basically what we also have to do is not just look at the things that we're able to do, um, seeing how it serves others, but also, you know, there might be like down the line as well, some things that are the result of our work that we might not see, or we're not, we're not, uh, we're not used to looking for. And so I was, I was talking to a flight attendant who was a believer a couple of weeks ago. I said, you know, I was flying back home and she was like, man, I'm just tired of my job. It, it came out that she was a believer. I was a believer. Uh, you know, she said, I'm just tired of work, you know, this and this, you know, this. and I said, you know what? Thank you for being a part of, and I, I said, teaching 500 ministers. Thank you for being a part of, you know, doing it. And I was listening to things I was doing because she is a part of that. Mm, yeah. She's playing a part in that, you know, and then she goes, oh my goodness, I never thought about the you know consequences in the best possible way of my work and so all i'm trying i guess if i can sort of summarize what i'm saying yes many of us find ourselves in jobs that we often you know are not thinking that we're going to be in long term and the dream is to do something else but if we can train ourselves to see that in some way we are doing sort of uh, in our image bearing capacity God type stuff, like in a small way, uh, like the shelving of books, ordering things, um, you know, and, and things like that. Or if we're able to see the long term helpful implications of our work, then that is also a helpful thing as well. And so um, that that's the, that's the things I would I would say. In addition to the fact that if we're able to hone those skills, doing those things. Then, if the Lord sees fit for us to get that job, we won't be pursuing money, pursuing purpose and meaning in those things because we were we had a training ground to be able to train our sights to see what we ought to be pursuing in our vocational spaces. Um, and so, I, I think that's very helpful. Uh, and then, last thing uh, on that question: uh, sometimes when we have you know something that we want to do as our job. We have to understand, even Martin Luther gave us four spheres of work that I think are very helpful. So work in the church, work at home, work in our neighborhoods, and then work for pay. And so we often assume that the only place that we can work is work for pay. Mm. But there might be something that you want to do as your work for pay, but you can do it in these other three areas, in your community, at your church, and in your home. And so I would encourage us to also see those other three spheres where we can sort of flex that muscle of what we want to do for pay someday, but God hasn't allowed us to do it for pay at this moment. I think it's, what you did is what I felt uh, in your book, or what you said right now in, in your book, is is you expand our imagination, mm-hmm. f- you know, 
taking a deeply theological approach to thinking of our work, you are, you expand our imagination for what work is, what the goal of it is and its impact and it's uh, breadth, like what you just said. Like, it doesn't have to just be the pay. There's all these other areas. Work's bigger than that. And I think, um, so just summarizing a little bit what I heard you say, it's that we are, we're all ministers. You say that in the book. We're all ministers. It's not just people who have the title minister. We're all minister, which means we all have the job, ultimately, of um, of bringing the kingdom, bringing a piece of the kingdom to earth, right? Of 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 introducing folks to Christ, not just not just through evangelism, but what that says about our work then is that the project that we're involved in, like you mentioned about um, the the uh, uh, person bringing ca- order to chaos, uh, is what you call the great commandment. Which, that is what it's called. <laughs> but uh, which so the goal of work is to glorify God and to love your neighbor, right? So it's other centered. Uh, it's got a God-glorifying aspect. And then you can really, what that means is, uh, this is what, how, how I felt, it's like what that means is your job actually becomes more than it is. It brings a dignity back to work yeah. to see it as, regardless of what you're doing, to see it as bigger than just the, the yes, the the bullet points on the job description, but under, connecting those things to the deeper the deeper narrative going on of it's God like not restoring that the, his kingdom. It's not that the job is too small, but Mm-mm. like our vision of what the job That's is it. doing is too small. Right. And you introduced this concept that we haven't gotten to yet, so of vocation. And so I was wondering if you could tell us really quickly, you know, is there a difference between job and vocation? Does Is, it, is that a helpful way of trying to see uh, see our work? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great that's a great distinction that I think that uh, is really helpful. So just kind of, kind of bear with me for a second. Yeah. Uh, so uh, work is what creatures do with creation. Mm. So it's a very tactile mm. thing. Um, you know, me like picking up. Well, you can't really see it, you know, because it's audio. But I'm picking up my Bible. I put it down. You know, I'm working the Bible. <laughs> I'm opening it. I'm closing it. Yeah. And so that's that's uh, that's work in a very basic sense. So I'm a creature. Uh, this is the creative thing. I'm working with it, you know, dirt, you know, I'm, I, I, I put it, I, I dig it out. I'm digging a trench for a, you know, for a pipe that's I'm working. And, but vocation is a lot larger than that. As we're talking about vocation is a calling of the Christian, right? Vocation is bigger. Uh, and I forgot exactly how we define the book. It's been <laughs> a long time since I wrote it and I've really never like read it either after that. But uh uh, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that's so much larger that has to do with our Christ, the Christian vision of being in the world. Mm. And so, so what, what I often say is that, so you have the Christian vision of like living in the world, glorifying God, loving others, great commandment living, but then the work that somebody does, that actual job is like the hand in a glove of our, of our vocation. So it's almost like the hand illuminates the 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 um the glove of our vocation. So the it's it's that those specifics on my job description that uh, allow me to illuminate the fact that I'm here to glorify God and love others. And so so for me, uh, so and I'll, I'll illustrate it real quick. So back in the day, um, if your daddy was a blacksmith, you were a blacksmith. Mm. If your daddy was a tanner, you were a tanner. I mean, so literally last names came from this. Uh, Tanner, Smith, you know, and so on and so forth. Um, but if you go back in time and look at the way that these people enjoyed their work and took uh, 
pride in a healthy sense, in a healthy way, in their work, it was unparalleled to this moment. Mm. We're almost sort of paralyzed and depressed by our opportunity that we have, mm. you know, uh, or the, the options that we have right now. And so the issue was, is that they understood their vocation as being significant and the work that they do um, allow is simply the specifics that allow them to pursue their Christian vocation of loving God, glorifying God and loving others. And so, uh, and I think that's very important for us right now. So vocation is so much bigger than just the, the tasks of the day. It's that, can we take the tasks of the day, be they in home, uh, you know, work, home, work for pay, community church, and then utilize them for the larger vision of the Christian vocation, which is that great commandment really. What I think is so beautiful about that, I'm trying not to get on the soapbox, because I, I love this stuff, is like part, part of the Part of the way I think people then were able even to experience that joy from their work, right? It's like if I'm the local, I'm the local butcher or whatever, right? Like I get the meat, you come, you you buy it, and then your family, you know, hosts the feast. Like I can kind of like see in the community, like, oh, look at what the work of my hands has accomplished on this side. Mm. Whereas like right. because of the way jobs work nowadays, I mean, literally, you go to the extreme now of like even just working from home, like I'm just a number in a box hitting the keys completely disconnected from, you know, whatever's happening. But part of the beauty of how you expand the way we understand what we do is when I think about the, the, the thing, the way I can serve in my, in my community and localize the, the work that I do mm -hmm. or the way that I can serve in my local church, the, uh, the, to wash dishes at home and put them back in the cupboard. So when my son eats breakfast in the morning, there's a clean plate. Mm. Like those are like other opportunities where we get to see like the things that I do for the people around me, like have an effect. And that can give, that can help give me a vision for the ways in which my work that maybe I don't get to see the other end of it. It's like, it's doing the same thing. I just don't see it. Um, but it like, it takes having that full vision uh, that you describe of uh, work. Isn't just the thing that you do for money. It's something that, um, God has gifted us with as as humans, and we see that throughout the scriptures. Um, and yeah, just that that larger vision of it can um, give us, I think, even just the spiritual ramifications of so much of the Christian life is work that's done where you don't see mm. the firsthand fruit of it on the other side. But having a trust and a faith of doing the work that God has gifted me to do, knowing that it is accomplishing something um because of because of what his word is shared with us, that is something that that resonated with me, uh, with me in the in the book and even just in what you shared. Yeah, and I think you're spot on. I mean, what we have to understand is that you know I'm actually glad in many ways that I'm not the one who gives the increase mm. because the increase that I will be able to give it is less than the ability of what God will be able Come to on. do. Mm. And so, uh, if we do just take heart in the fact that okay, there are implications beyond what we can see. It's a beautiful thing. So if we go again back in time, <clears throat> the shoemaker, they would go, they would get the leather, they would tan it, they would do, I mean, step by step by step. Right. So after, you know, uh, you know, however long it takes them to make a shoe, they have a shoe that they're holding in their hands. You know, there, there's a house being built across the street. And after those gentlemen are done working, it's a little, the, the ladies are done working every day, you know, a frame went up over the course of a week and they can stand back and just kind of look at it and say, oh, 
that's what we did. And so that there's a, a healthy accomplishment, a sense of accomplishment with that. But in many jobs today, you know, because of, of how, uh, as, we, as you guys explained so well, work is decentralized or work has been broken down to uh, small pieces like, okay, I make this cog over and over and over again, then we ship it off and then down the line somewhere, it makes a watch and then somebody could be on time to their kids' people game because they're wearing the watch, you know? And so, um, but we have to just kind of keep that in mind as we are doing the work that this is the cog that we're making and that goes in the watch is not the end goal. There's something else out there. And then I would make an appeal to those who are, um, who are managers, who are executives in organizations, help your people to see the end game yeah. of their work on a regular basis. Yeah, It's your responsibility to serve them in that way, to show them the impact of the work of their hands and of their minds, because that will then give them a more robust motivation to do the work well. So a buddy of mine, one of my best friends, my prayer partner, and my old small group leader, he, um, he, he makes like parts for um, medical devices. And, um, you know, and, and they're actually a pretty big deal in, in some in some spaces, especially with liver issues. Um, but then one day he met his neighbor across the street uh, and her son is having liver issues. And she recognized his products in the, the hospital room. and was like, hey, your stuff is actually making a difference in mm. my son's life. Mm. He just like he was a new man. Mm-hmm. He was saying that kid right there has been helped. Because of the fact that I am, you know, uh, not even in sales, not even in sort of like branding these things, not even, I mean, step, 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 way, way back. He's back there in his cubicle sort of doing project management, trying to get these products, you know, developed and out onto in, in the market on time. So hmm. all I have to say, I mean, seeing, imagining the end goal, uh, if you're a person in a place to lead in that way, to demonstrate clearly the end goal um, and the implications of the work. And so I think that's so important. So I, I probably was on that too long. But no, no, it reminds me and I forget where I'm going to, I'm sure it's like in a movie or in a book or something, but the anecdote about the, their, um, you know, it's the Apollo mission, the sun, everyone's put, trying to put a man on the moon, whatever. And the, one of the scientists stops on the way after they've done it. And he talks to the janitor who's there sweeping up after work. And he's like, Hey, what did you do today? And the janitor says the same thing you did. I was putting a man on the moon. Right. And that, right. that idea of like, it's even deeper, right? Because yes, that they're all working for, t- towards the same goal, but the take it even one layer deeper. The same thing you did today. I'm restoring the kingdom. I am bringing a peace kingdom mm. to earth. I'm I'm living yes. for love of neighbor and and glory of God. And I think you know, to Marcus, you mentioned it, and then obviously, uh, Dr. Strickland, you talked about it with the spheres of work. But I can't help but think how this relates to home, the work in the home, and parenting, um, because I know so many dads and so many moms who we get lost in the tactile. You said it, you know, I'm washing the dishes and it's, it's endless. My wife is like one of her least favorite chores, chores is laundry. And it's like, it just feels like it never stops. Right. And if you kind of 
decentralize those tasks. That's probably the wrong way of putting it. But if you if it, if it gets too granular for you, it's like I'm just washing dishes. All I do is the laundry every day. And it's like, no, what you're doing is raising a child. No, what you're doing is glorifying God by teaching them uh, to obey all that I've commanded you, even to the end of the year. And I, so I think I think um, I think having that bigger vision ground can take the menial tasks of the day and and make it give it give it something bigger you know um i don't know i don't know if i'm making sense on that no it does i think it gets back to what you said about our uh, you know we serve a god of order and you're you're putting things in order um one of my favorite quotes gk chesterton chesterton talks about like just monotony and Mm. how we can't handle it but maybe god does he's Mm. like maybe god doesn't make a Lily the same every day because lilies have to be like that. Like, what if God just never got tired of making lilies? Mm. And he just he glorifies in monotony, and we're we're like too old, and we like get tired of it. And it's like there is something like beautiful about like man, we praise God because the sun rises every day and it goes down every day and mm. it raises every day. And there's like there is a um, it's changing that vision again, right? Of participating in God's ordering and, and structuring of the of the world in a way that. Um, yeah, it's like I say, it's easy for me to say that as like I also hate washing dishes, but yeah. it's like having to remind myself, like man, like there's some of the most, uh, yeah, some of the most godly things I can do in the day is do the dishes, yeah. and like man, that that gives my wife an opportunity to mm. rest. That like I say, it's a clean plate for my son and daughter to eat off of. That's a opportunity to reflect the 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 character of of God, and without yeah, without that reminder, it can it can just feel mean yeah meaningless and never ending before you jump in to what you want to do i thought of this as as you were talking dr strickland uh and it's not addressed specifically in the book cuz the book was written before the pandemic but what um we just talked about it a minute ago that the way that uh, our work can kind of become atomized we can become alienated from the product of our work um because we are just making the cog what dangers if any do you see being introduced through the pandemic through the this whole new wave of working from home not working in an office um are there are there unique challenges that we need to apply this vision to as we as we kind of enter the other side of of the pandemic you know this world of of the pandemic yeah so i think one relationally we're gonna have to um figure out how to do this because I think a lot of the decentralized workforce is working on relational capital that was cultivated prior to the pandemic. Mm, yep. So if you talk That's to good. somebody who was onboarded into an organization during the pandemic, virtually they have almost zero connection to anybody that they work with or to the company itself. So therefore it's even less likely for them to have a grander vision of what they are contributing to uh, and who they're sort of linking arms with in their work uh, to be to begin to understand how they can actually, you know, pursue something greater than just the task that they're given to do as a part of the vision and mission of an organization. That's so I, I think I think the relationality is so important. Um, uh, and, and then also, you know, organizations, I mean, even though uh, it's the job descriptions are honed and sat with. People spend a lot of time, or they should be spending a lot of time, trying to figure out exactly what somebody should do. And if all the job descriptions were executed perfectly, then there would be no balls dropped. <laughs> but the fact is, is that we're humans. Yeah. 
you know, the fact is, is that, you know, even if we only have two weeks vacation, uh, you know, we still aren't at our, uh, our absolute best 50 weeks out of the year. We might have a, you know, you know, you know, a parent go through an illness. We might go through an illness or, you know, we might have a child who is, uh, you know, going through a, a challenging developmental period. I mean, whatever that might be, all I'm trying to say is that at every, uh, every employee and employer has a time when they have to lean on people to help the mission move forward. Mm. We are less likely to have the relational capital, one, uh, to, for somebody to want to do that for us, much less even knowing it's going on in somebody's life to even sort of jump into a place as someone who can love somebody else in that way. And so, for example, I mean, if you're only communicating with your employees on Slack and never having an opportunity or like, you know, Slack or what else, Teams, Microsoft Teams or whatever, you know, there is, you know, to to, uh, interact with, it's always very transactional. Mm. We we, we have to have those times where we're just eating lunch, talking about whatever, Mm. because in those moments, we can find the opportunity to be able to help others and even build those kinds of connections. Uh, both relationally and organizationally to, to help us in, in, in the, you know, for business to work. So all, all I have to say, I'm actually really interested to see uh, <laughs> what's going to happen to all these companies who sold their buildings in the pandemic mm. because, you know, um, because uh, real estate was booming. They're like, hey, we're, we're doing okay being decentralized, yep. but we'll just give it a couple of years. Yeah. And I think they're going to be hurting and they're going to be bringing all those folks back to say, hey, if you want to make this salary that we said on here, you got to, you know, bring yourself to work. <laughs> well, I think Google's already trying to do that, aren't they? Are they people, really? people are upset. They're like, they're like asking people to come back for like at least a couple of days a week or something. I believe it. I mean, what I you bet said realizing that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, why am I going to want to cover shift for somebody that I've never met and that I've only interacted with transactionally? Right. Right. I mean, or whatever. Or the bigger things. Yeah. yeah. That's such a good point. I had yeah my my question was uh in light of you mentioned before of how managers can help you know cast vision for their employees um uh, kind of building on that and just thinking like I know you you occupy all these spaces right like you man of the church family education um maybe talk to us about what what does it look like for um leaders in churches um, parents, maybe in the home, or even um, teachers and professors in the classroom. What does it look like uh, in those different spaces to cast a broader vision um, of work uh, for for those that we're that are under our care in those spaces? Yeah, that's that's good. Um, in the home, and I wanted to say this earlier. Uh, you know, as a parent of, a, of someone who of a child who's about four, six, and eight. So you mm. kind of know where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as, as I'm trying to think of what is the work of a child, the work of a child is to play. Mm. Um, the work of a child uh, is to make that table into a spaceship uh, <laughs> and flex their imagination so that they then can not only have imagination for that place, that play place, but they can imagine a God who is all powerful. Mm. My, my, my son will hopefully, you know, who, who was under his bed and saying he was in a submarine <laughs> can begin to continue to flex those muscles of imagination, seeing what's not there. So he can be, you know, an image bearer and like God in, in a very healthy way, 
allowing, uh, you know, uh, giving, you know, giving him the ability to then imagine what's not there, to see a problem and develop solutions, to see a challenge and then rise up to that challenge, to create imaginative ways of curing things that ail people. And so the, the vocation or the work of a child is to play. So, so for me, what I, what I try to do is keep the work, to keep the innocence of my children mm. Mm. Uh, so they can imagine even things that are ridiculous uh, because the more they work that muscle now, the more they're able to do it. And this, this is, and we talked about soapboxes a second ago, a soapbox of mine is video games mm. and not playing them, but you know, mediating or moderating how much our children do those because those put everything before them Mm -hmm. and don't allow them to utilize their imaginative Mm. capabilities. That's good. It actually um, atrophies those muscles. Mm. And so if we're going to have, you know, kids, develop, raise kids that can then go out into the world and just, you know, imagine the fact that there is a God who is with me, you know, Faith is believing in what you cannot see. Mm. Can you imagine the God of David walking alongside you? Can you imagine the fact that there is one who is, you know, I, I'm going to start preaching, but I don't even go there, <laughs> but they have to be able to do that kind of work. Mm. Think about those things. And it, and it happens as a child, mm. you know, given that freedom. Um, but also in the home, you know, there, there's like with my four-year-old, I mentioned that house being built across the street. Um, that's a different kind of work than I do. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's gentlemen over there, ladies over there who are going, uh, swinging hammers, mm. digging trenches for pipes. They're, uh, roofing, they're, uh, doing other, uh, trades. Uh, my, you know, my son sees what I do at work. I'm in here on a computer. I'm writing a book. I'm, you know, preparing to teach lecture and things like that. Preach. Uh, but I'm trying to help, dignify other kinds of work that are not so talking about the value of what they do talking about how that's good hard work how that honors god that they are providing for their families in a good and ethical way and so so now you know my son sees the 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 people break the marks like hey daddy let's go over there and help them Mm. you know because they're working so hard and it's hot outside you know (laughs) so um and so he he he's he's gotten a vision for uh, the fact that, you know, the scope of what work can be, hmm. um, in churches, I think it's, it's important for, for especially those who are teaching, uh, and preaching the word in whatever capacity on a discipleship basis and from a pulpit in a small group Sunday school class, uh, for us to actually see work and vocation in the Bible. So this is an, an interpretive question. Uh, in the in and you know for, for me as a nerd we say a hermeneutical question mm. of, uh, you know about the art of interpreting the Bible. Mm-hmm. So you know uh, sometimes we have a a hearing impediment of the text, if I could say that way. We don't hear all that's there because when we you know encounter God, you know in the beginning of the of the, of the Bible, He's working, and we don't hear the Bible say that He's organizing. He is separating light from darkness. He is. Um, you know, creating people in his image. He is, you know, working with things, creating things. And I think that we have to understand that, you know, that's there. The Tower of Babel, they were uh, using the work of their hands to make much of themselves and not of God. So that that's a an ill picture of work. Hmm. And so then we have to go, and you know, to the to the uh, the woman in um, Psalm or Proverbs thirty one 
and then look at the glory of God as it's manifest in her work on behalf of her family and others. And then we have to talk about, you know, uh, Boaz, about how he used his work to be to be a shelter yeah. for others. So it was not just for his own gain, but for the help of somebody else. We That's often good. cheer in Christian circles, you know, Ruth was a hard worker. You know, she just went to work and she, well, there had to be a Boaz to give her an opportunity to work. Right. So there's that give and take there. And so we see uh, both two good examples of work. So Bo- Boaz tells us it's not about, you know, if you have a lot of resources, and you have a great job. You don't have to be, you know, walking around guilty because you've been given Creative much. Space. Mm. See that as stewardship. See that as something to leverage on behalf of somebody else as well. And so as we're reading the Bible, as those who are in church life, beginning to see those examples throughout Scripture, beginning to see that Jesus actually was a carpenter. He had a vocation because, it's, you know, he didn't need money because he could have just created stuff, you know, as far as like to meet his needs. He could have created his own tent, could have created his own, you know, um, uh, food out of nowhere. He, he fed 5,000 people out of five loaves and two fishes. I'll be preaching that on Sunday. Uh, that's but good. that's not how he went about getting his food on a typical basis. There's dignity <laughs> in that. It's part of the human experience mm. to do that. That's so good. That's so good because we didn't actually ask the question. We probably could have started with it. Where do we find this idea of dignity and work? And you just answered it. I mean, it's there. It's in the beginning uh, uh, in the creation mandate. It's there with Jesus, what you just said. Gosh, I've never even thought of that. That's incredible. He's working, huh. you know? Um, wow. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. It was just a really good point. Yeah. And then so here, the, the last sphere that uh, that the market position was education. Mm. Uh, and this is one of my favorite because I, I'm an yeah, educator. Sure. But my work ultimately, you know, I can get caught up in making syllabus or a syllabi, yeah. you know, depending <laughs> on how you want to you know, put it in a formal way. Or, or, or I can get caught up in, you know, uh, making quizzes or tests. But what I'm doing is I'm trying to actualize the hidden potential that God has put into all my students. Mm. Somebody has come alongside each and every one of us to bring out of us the riches that God has put in us for the sake of glorifying him and making much of him and pointing to his kingdom and also to love others. Someone has to disciple that out of us. And that's what any educator is doing, Mm. actualizing that which God has put in us, because it's almost like a, it's, it's like a seed. You can hold it in your hand and it just stays a seed. But the potential of being a wonderful fruit is already in mm. there, but someone has to put it in the ground, cultivate yep. it, work it a little bit, and then we see the fruit of, of those labors. And so that's what we're doing with students that do as well, and also as parents. Right, like that right. Way. That's beautiful. This is maybe a strange question, but it's one that I used to think about as an attorney, which, you know, uh, a lot of people in the world think, or as a former attorney, and when I was in law school, you know, we all know the law jokes, but uh, oftentimes I felt it even and saw it was just like, man, maybe this is not, this is evil work. Mm. (laughs) It could feel that way, you know? Um, And you can, in, in our polarized society, I think maybe we can throw this around a little bit. I have this question for you. Is there any work that's off limits? Is there any work that we shouldn't do as a Christian? There's a way in which we're expanding our view, and typically that has to do with seeing our work as more dignified even when we don't see it, the barista or the whatever, right? Um, it's not as maybe high or lofty, but are there any, is there any type of work that actually is anti-gospel? For sure. 
there are certainly those those uh, vocations that are. So what what I try to do uh, in work and understanding the goodness of mm-hmm. work is asking the question: Does this work help people to live according to God's design? Mm. Does so? There's wisdom that's interwoven into the fabric of creation. We read about this in um, what was it, Proverbs chapter right. three, you know, uh, verses nineteen, twenty, somewhere in there. He interwove his wisdom into creation. So, uh, you know, so God knows how we should be living in the world. And so, uh, does my work help people live according to that which is going to help them flourish? And so, anything that uh, hampers flourishing is off limits. That's good. So if I'm going to, if I'm going to be, you know, uh, you know, deal drugs illegally, mm. um, you know, that, that is going to be for the purpose of people taking those and, you know, doing, doing, you know, for that our, to have our bodies respond in ways it's not supposed to do to those alien sort of substances. And so, there, there is a, a doctor or a pharmacist who can, you know, prescribe things in a good way because something's wrong to help. But, you know, but and a drug dealer is like a, you know, that's an obvious, ridiculous one. But I would even say, you know, doing lending that's, that's unhelpful to the people that you are lending to. If it's preying upon them, if it's, if you're banking in such a way that you are enticing people to borrow money that you know that they can't pay back, that is antithetical to their flourishing because you are using that um, that uh, that naivete to, for your gain, mm. and so there's all there are all kinds of things, you know. So so I think that the question is doing to ask. Yeah. Uh, no, every vocation is not good. I mean, and I would even say, you know, for a lawyer, there there's there, you know, so everyone thinks of a lawyer and thinks about the courtroom. Right. There's all kinds of you know of lawyers. There's corporate lawyers. Yeah. There's legal counsel. Yeah. There is the person who is like a prosecutor, uh, you know, and things like that. But but even in the courtroom, there's a vast array of things that you can stand up for. Right. Um, and so you know, and as as you're working through those things as a lawyer, um, you know, or through the topics that you're teaching and how you're teaching them as a teacher, you know, uh, see to it. Or examine or ask the question to yourself by the Spirit's help, uh, and then with others by your side who love Jesus to to determine if your activity is helping people to live in a way that they'll flourish. That's really helpful, and that's the question. That's really so a really good framework. Because I mean, yeah. you could take that into in all of the different spheres that we just got done talking about. And it, mm-hmm. really, what it does is it even more than just. Is there a, a work that's off limits? Like there's a there's a way of doing any work that's off limits, right? Um, and we have to be conscious of that at all times. Yeah, yeah. Like it's funny to think it's like it's not that lending's bad; it's lending in a way that it exploits people's naivety that's bad. Exactly. It's, you could say that with sales. Like you could sell one thing and do it to glorify God, or you could sell things to glorify yourself, and you end up sort of lying. Or we we you mentioned that earlier. You know, you can exploit people or their weaknesses, or you prey on elderly people because you know they're an easy so you know you know what i'm saying like all that kind of stuff um and that's not to pick on elderly people but you know what i'm trying to say yeah yeah no that's a good insight (laughs) Uh, dr strickland is there anything else that you want to touch on before we wrap up yeah yeah you know there's an illustration i always kind of give you know after i'm done doing the talk on this yeah um and this is my hope for everybody listening to us and for the three of us yeah um there is you know there's a, a gentleman by the name of uh, 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 Lyndon Leader. Um, I think that's his name. Um, 
Linden leader, he was a person who you, you guys familiar with this story. It's in, uh, it's so you guys shaking yeah, your yeah, head. Yeah, yeah. It's great. So, you know, he did, he's a, he's a graphic designer, kind of tied marketing guru. He created like the AT&T, uh, at least the old AT&T logo. Uh, and then Fed, Federal Express came to him and said, Hey, we would like you free to work with us. Um, and then uh, the short of it is that he shortened it down to FedEx and gave it its new uh, branding. And within like a, a lot of old courier services, the arrow was a big part of that branding. And so between the E and the X, you can see the arrow in there. And so he was driving with his daughter down the street. And then a FedEx truck you know, came up to him and he says, hey, I have a secret to tell you. There is an arrow in the FedEx logo. Can you find it? And then... Uh, they eventually identified as between the E and the X and she can never not see it. Mm. So whenever she sees the FedEx, she's telling everybody, oh, hey, there's an arrow between the E and the X. So my hope is that because we've expanded our view of vocation, we've expanded, uh, you know, we, we understand better how work fits in God, into God's design that we can never unsee it. Mm. So that tomorrow when who's ever listening goes back to their cubicle or goes back to their uh, their tablet or their computer in their living room or in their makeshift office at their house that they've had the last year and a half, two years, that they will begin to see how what they're doing fits into God's design for us to flourish, loving God, glorifying God, loving others. And then if it doesn't, then we have to we have some decisions to make because ultimately the, the word of God the will of God, the wisdom of God should guide us in every decision that we make in our vocational lives. Our work lives are not off limits to God's uh, dominion and his, and his lordship. Mm, And so I, I I do hope that tomorrow when folks or or even folks are listening to this right now, as they're doing a mindless task at work, may that spreadsheet be orderly Mm. and glorify God uh, and bespeak the fact that, you know, you are doing that spreadsheet in such a way that helps the end game of your organization to reach its goal. And by God's grace, it's one that increases the, the joy and the flourishing of your neighbor. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. This podcast is made possible because of a team of people behind the scenes. Chris Sterrett, Chelsea Conway, Mandy Page, and Brad Weigel. We couldn't do it without them. If you're a follower of the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can message us on social. You can also support us on our Patreon page. Check the show notes for more information, and we'll see you next time.